This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey, that's not so bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. The Raptors lose 126 to 120 against the Los Angeles Clippers. It's the second night of a back-to-back. They're playing without Yaka Pirtle and Pascal Siakam. And they're playing a Clippers team that was not super engaged for like the first, I don't know, 40 minutes of this game. They kept themselves in it with a little bit of Zubats in the front court, hustling and bustling. And then, of course, like some tremendous, tremendous shot making from their all world shot makers. That's Paul George. That's Kawhi Leonard. That's James Harden. Even Norm Powell had a run. Right. And he's Norm Powell is going to have runs. And then towards the end of the game, the Clippers, you know, they kind of buy into the defense a little bit more. They get into it. They start to bring their lunch pail. And there's just some like superstar shot making down the stretch. Um, I thought the New York guards that are now Toronto guards. Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett in this game, sublime. Somebody was saying I say sublime a lot lately, so sublime. And and also, like, Jante Porter, he missed his shots late, the threes, the stuff around the rim. That was disappointing. His defensive constitution I was pretty impressed with. Uh, Gary had a decent game off the bench. I thought Dennis Schroeder was fantastic stepping into the, the starting lineup. And this was a team, the Clippers, who you can attack them through their backcourt defensively. And Schroeder and Quickly, I think, both got into the lane regularly. They both got to the rim quite often. Quickly, a little bit more disappointing finishing around there. But he got to the line quite a few times. He has a nice whistle. That was good to see. Thad comes in again. Eight points, two steals, three assists, four boards. Like He, he just plugs in. It's been pretty impressive to see him hang. RJ, again, 24 points on 16 shots, 4-6 from downtown, had tremendous pacing in transition, was able to get to the left side of the rim. He's impressive, man. He's been tremendous since coming over. And Scotty, a really, really quiet game in what I thought could have been an opportunity for him to kind of like grab the bull by the horns. Uh, pretty disappointed with this game. Not a, It's not a, you know... It's not anything, really. It's just tonight. It's not a referendum on Scotty going forward or anything like that. But it would have been nice if he applied himself a little bit more offensively, put a little bit more pressure. Phoenix Playzee says, I think Scotty got hurt. Yeah, he did have that uh, Norm Powell at the, the start of the fourth pump. Scotty uh, extended his leg over top, kind of fell over top of him. Maybe a hip flexor or something like that, right? I haven't heard anything from the team. That's uh, speculation. Um but yeah, maybe maybe hip flexor or something like that. And, and but overall, even before that, I think had had a tough time implementing himself offensively. And this was a game when you look at that, you say like, man, hmm, it it would have been it would have been really nice to have Pascal because part of why 
Kawhi and PG were so cozy and comfortable launching jumpers all game and just each getting to 29 points, 29 points is because there wasn't a lot of pressure on them defensively, you know, and this wasn't Scotty's night. Obviously, Pascal probably would have helped apply some of that pressure, put them in a mixer a little bit more often. And especially when the game slowed down towards the end, when the Raptors who had been scoring like they scored 120 tonight. I think this is a record. I think Keeks tweeted out that they've like, what, 10 straight games or something where they score 115 plus or something like that. Um, Go to her Twitter account to figure that out. (laughs) But um, maybe this would have been the game where 130 would have really helped. But um, you miss Pascal. You miss Jakob to some degree in the front court. But I think like the Raptors did a really good job through overhelping on the inside, zoning up certain parts of the court. And Thaddeus Young and Jonte Porter, like a decent facsimile of Jakob Pertl or just like a big man who's capable of, you know, bossing around in the paint. They got good minutes in the front court. And, you know, this is something Phoenix Play Z brings up. Do I think the overhelping on Kawhi was warranted? I do, because if Kawhi was in single coverage like he was for so much of the game, I think that he, the Raptors did a really impressive job. Their defensive game plan, I thought, was really strong. They still give up 126 because why? The Clippers have so many impressive shot makers. And Kawhi and Paul, obviously chief among them, you know, Harden gives you 14, which is underwhelming for him, but 11 assists and a whole bunch, whole bunch of great playmaking. You know, Norm gives you 13 points. Terrence Mann doesn't miss a shot. He cans every single corner three that comes his way. Um, the Raptors had to give that stuff up. And when they're playing and zoning up certain parts and they want to protect against Zubats, what they're doing is they're letting and they're kind of like shepherding guys into parts of the court. And they're trying to hang around on Kawhi's hip and make sure that their contests are like these side or rear view contests, get the hand in the face, bother. But if you're not throwing a lot of attention at Kawhi, he's going to wriggle and wiggle his way into the middle of the court where he's very comfortable making those shots. Um, You could tell the compete level at the end of the game, they were pretty tired. They, like a couple really good doubles, that blitz on Kawhi with like six seconds left on the shot clock. If they're fully there, maybe if it's not the second night of a back-to-back, I think that they're able to chase him down and keep him to the sideline, wall him off. As it turns out though, the compete level's not all the way there. <laughs> then he turns the corner, dunks the ball. Obviously, quickly comes down right down the other end, gets an end one. That was great. But there's some stuff, especially keeping up, like the trap on Kawhi, and then he gets rid of the ball, but he gets it back. Then you have to go meet him 30 feet from the basket again and trap. And it's just like running back and forth trying to handle that is really tough. But they made the Clippers go down to like the last five seconds of the shot clock repeatedly. And the Clippers just hit shots. And and like, so that's the thing too, right? Is like PG is sitting there. This isn't clutch time necessarily, but he's like 22 feet just inside the three-point line, hanging out. He's got his primary man looking at him. He's spying where the double is coming from. And he sees the double starts coming. It's late clock. That's a good trap. That's a good double because they don't have time to like ping, ping, ping the ball around. They can zone up from one area on the court. They can effectively play like four on three defensively. You know, you could do something like that. Really good management. But he just rises up, cashes it, 
22 footer. These are stars. Some of the best shooting wings we've ever seen in the NBA, Kawhi and Paul George. And, you know, outside of that too, you have James Harden, who this was certainly not his best game, but he can get in the mix as like just a tremendous playmaker. And he did. And then, you know, if you collapse way too much, like Zubots, he had 12 and 11, 31 minutes, 75% from the field. Terrence Mann, as I said, didn't miss a shot all night. Norm gives you like 13 in short order. And especially, I think he missed like his first four or five shots in the game. And then he, he he's Inferno in the second half, right? So I think the Raptors tried a lot of really good stuff. And it's the second night of a back-to-back, yes. Maybe if Scotty on both sides of the floor accesses like the stardom that he's capable of accessing sometimes. You know, Darko was up there on the soapbox banging the table saying this guy's the face of the league the future of the nba um you wish this game maybe he would have been able to lift the raptors out of it or maybe over top um it ended up that it was Kawhi and paul george who were able to do that try as rj might star j i should say god he's been good he's been so so good uh phoenix plays e says how do you feel about our pick and roll coverages you ask a lot of good questions, man. Like, they're very good. Um, good eye. Uh, I thought that the Raptors, like, they had to show a lot, right? And, like, there's some, like, there's some hedge and recover depending on if they're willing to tag Zubots. And that depended on who was on the backside, of course. And then, of course, there's, like, a bunch of switching that they're able to do, especially later on in the game. It was really dependent on the lineup. Um, I thought that the hedge and recover stuff was pretty good because both Paul George and Kawhi, I think, are not, like, elite, elite playmakers. So you make them, like, kill the dribble, go over top, and you try and get the ball to move from the short roll area to hopefully it ends up in the hands of, like, Harden or something, right? I talked about this last night where I talked about how if you get in rotation defensively, you want the ball to end up in Harden's hand because he's a catch-and-hold player. And there was quite a few possessions in this game where the Clippers were, like, catching and holding. And a lot of that was Harden. And that means that you get to restart the play. That means you have to have second efforts defensively. That means you have to compete. Yes. But it also means you're not suffering from the advantage of the primary like attack, the primary action. So I thought that they did a lot of good stuff. I think in some cases, like the, the Clippers just got over top of it. The Maginot line, France and Germany, World War II, right? Well, World War One, two World War Two. That's, if you go around... The you know if you build something to stop something, and you just go over top or around it, you know, that's just uh, that's the way it is. Those guys says best loss of the season, all things considered. I I don't know, maybe sure. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff in this game. You hate losing this. You hate losing games. Nobody likes it, especially since this Raptors team seems like if everybody's healthy, they could compete. I don't know if this team stays together. I don't know what it looks like forever, but this current iteration, they look like they can hang with a lot of different teams. It's disappointing that they have they don't have Yak or Pascal. Um, Ian says, uh, yeah, not a bad loss, but being eight games under 500 is so tough. That's exactly it. It's it's tough to take the moral victories away. It really is. It's it's just um. But you can. You can take the moral victories away. Of course you can. But 
you know, it's tough not to. Uh, let's talk offense. I've got a play for everybody, all right? Um, we want to talk about Rowan Barrett, Rowan Jr. We'll use this to kind of relay that information. Okay, so this was their opener, and this is how you manipulate the tag. And the tagger in this scenario is supposed to be Zubats. So the Raptors want to keep him out of the lane when they're running this play. So keep this in mind. Okay, so Dennis starts in the corner. Thad and Scotty are setting a staggered set for him, okay? Dennis comes out of the corner. Up here, IQ passes him the basketball, okay? While he gets the ball here, that's Dennis. Scotty comes over here. And RJ comes out of the opposite corner for a handoff from Dennis while Scotty sets this screen. Basically, a pick and roll is now happening between RJ and Scotty. Avica Zubots is sitting right here guarding Thad, and the Raptors want him to not be able to make this rotation over if they hit the roll. So what do they do? They have a flare for Emmanuel quickly set by Thaddeus Young, so that Emmanuel's guy is stuck on it here, so Zubots has to clear out of the paint to make sure that if quickly goes to the corner and that read is there, he has to cover him. This clears the lane, RJ makes a great pass over the top to Scotty, and the Raptors score their first basket of the game. Great tag manipulation. Super great. Um, great pass from RJ. They ran the set quickly. The, the screens were placed on time in the right spacing. When I go to like the OVO center for practice, you can see there's spots on the floor that are marked for the Raptors where they want to start, start plays. A lot of it starts like by the hash mark on the sideline. They want to do all that kind of stuff. They ran it slick, they ran it quick, and they had multiple advantages that they could try and glean from it. That was awesome. Uh, they also, there's a good Jonte Porter pass, which um, they ran the same play. Now, <laughs> let's, let's pretend that um, Jonte Porter is the J. That used to be Jakob. I wrote this, I did this before. Uh, they, they traded OG, of course, but so... OG here on the wing is actually Jalen McDaniels. This is called Iverson loop. He comes around and Jonte makes a high-low read to Jalen. And that was their first play of the second quarter, I think. So we see some really, really good, um, some really good set actions to start things off. Um, Hoops King says 77 drag. It's a play Miami runs off. And yeah, 77, uh, 77 is just um, a double drag, but that's not a double drag. So I disagree on the terminology, Hoops King, I think. So yeah, 77 is just double in basketball. Um, but there's like a million different things you can call everything. But uh, I don't I don't think I agree with that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, different, like different schools of thought around basketball have different ideas about what things are called all the time um phoenix plays he asks would i have liked to see more empty side action when everything got bogged down in the half court i feel like they missed a lot of inverted screening opportunities <laughs> maybe maybe they could have gone to it a little bit more the empty side stuff hasn't um hasn't been something that they've wanted to go to all that often without Jakob. Jakob is so good at clearing space 
maintaining the roll angle, maintaining the passing window on that empty side stuff that he really, and like, you don't have to worry about the tag on empty side. It's like two on two. You can make it two on one really quick. Um, if you want the help, the help's going to have to come from middle and you have to be able to make the skip pass over the top to the other side. But I got to be honest, uh, Jante Porter or like Thad Young, I don't think they're as reliable. In fact, we saw like towards the late later on in the game, you saw RJ put his head in his hands because he made that empty side read to Jante and it hit Jante's hand and it went out of bounds. And I don't know if he was like, ah, I put too much heat on it. Or if he was like, ah, you got to be able, like, if it hits your hands, you got to bring that in, Jante. But I just think, and especially with Jante missing a lot of stuff late, and Thaddeus Young being more of an opportunistic scorer on broken plays rather than, like, a feature as a role man, I think the Raptors probably felt, and Darko probably felt, like they were limited in how they could try and score on some of that empty side stuff. And if it's, like, RJ and quickly running an inverted thing, I mean, maybe they could have gone to that a little bit more often, but also on top of that, you know, some of that stuff, you know, as you say here, you want to see more IQ and Scotty stuff in the half court. If Scotty's going to be passive, a lot of those plays lose their punch. So that's maybe a little bit disappointing there. It just wasn't Scotty's night. Um, even before, you know, I hope he's good. I hope if it's something that lingers, I hope it doesn't linger that long. If it's something that actually like, is an injury injury i geez i hope it isn't but um scotty just wasn't his night he had a tough time implementing himself on offense he had a tough time defensively in a lot of senses too and this was a game that was like a track meet and that means that they were there was so much up and down this was a game where you really hope scotty would be able to take advantage in the open court like go make a killing right man you know take it to the rim Punish the rim, pressure it, see what see what type of response you can create from the defense a little bit more often in this game. Test them. We saw RJ Barrett do it a lot. RJ, like in this game, yes, like six out of his 16 attempts came from downtown. And that means that, you know, and he shot 67%, 67% from three again, which is crazy. Um, but he also got downhill in transition and had a really good eye for what the defense was trying to do in front of him. And it's, he keeps impressing me a lot, man. Like he's able to do it through set actions. He's been able to do it on broken plays. He's not even demanding the ball like a star would. He's not saying like, oh, these are my plays. Give me the ball. I need to get the ball here to make it work. It's just like, he's taking the ball wherever he gets it. He's taking it in the flow of the offense. And he's just so, he's been so opportunistic. And like, he worms his way into advantages going downhill. Teams have been preoccupied elsewhere. It helps that he's sharing the floor with like quickly a ton. It helps that Scotty has more like respect as a shooter now for that spacing. But he's just done a hell of a job of seeking out the rim consistently. And this is the first game where he didn't have free throws. He was just getting through so clean so often that you're like, damn, that's it's an impressive game. They a lot of stuff broke right in this game. The only thing that you like, Gary, I was happy with his performance. Jante, happy with his performance. McDaniel's quiet. Maybe 13 minutes was too much for me. 
Boucher, I was actually pretty disappointed. Second game in a row that I'm like, damn, Chris, not not great. Um, Garrett Temple came in, did his damnedest. Um, quickly, like, he had to grind, but he found his way to it. I thought Dennis, like, another game where he comes off the bench and shoots 60% from the floor. He had 22 points, man. Like, the the Clippers' backcourt is not great defensively, and both Quickly and Shooter were really, really diligent in trying to attack that aspect of their defense, and Barrett, too. And so it's just, they. I think they attacked the things that they really wanted to. That isn't going to be the game changer you're looking for. RJ was awesome. Schroeder was awesome. Quickly was awesome. They needed Scotty if they're going to win this game because this isn't a bad team. This this is the Clippers. They're really good. And even if they don't show up for like half the game, which they didn't really care defensively for a lot of it, they can still hang in through their jump shooting, their offensive talent, which they did. And then they can clamp up at the end of the game while also still maintaining that offense. And the Raptors are not a contender. They don't have a million different win conditions. They they have very like they have to do a lot of things. They have to they have to compete really well on both ends of the floor. They have to try and meet the moment repeatedly. Different guys have to have a quarter here and a quarter there. Different guys have to like press all game. You you have to make the most of like your possessions. You can't be passive if you want to beat a team that's going to score 126 and do so without breaking so, so much of a sweat, right? And that's what these Clippers are, like a damn good team. They they have been for so much. Like they sorted out the stuff early on in the season. They kind of recalibrated their roles. And uh, them's the breaks, man. Richard Pilsky says, I thought the CBA was supposed to break up the super teams. I don't even think this is a super team necessarily. Like Kawhi just signed the extension today and he didn't get the full max. Like as crazy as it might sound to everybody, Kawhi, as far as like points responsible for average in a game, he's he creates less than both Scotty and Pascal. Both. Scotty and Pascal, both as far as like the combination of points and assists. He creates less points than both of them. Now, Kawhi is probably the best player of those three, yes. But Paul George is also not exactly the driver that he used to be. He's more of a jump shooter now. He's still one of the best jump shooting wings of all time, of course. But these guys are not exactly what they used to be. Westbrook is on the veteran minimum. Harden's, you know, we'll see what happens with his contract. But, like, this isn't a super team. These are three, like, guys who are figuring it out surrounded by like a really gritty center who I think is impressive and you know Terrence Mann plugs in Westbrook plugs in Powell plugs in it's like and they're paying the luxury tax so you know the Raptors didn't lose this game because the Clippers are a super team the Raptors lost this game because the Clippers are a very good team and the Raptors don't have Pascal Siakam or Jakob Pertl if those guys were around, I really think the Raptors might have been able to do something in this game. And they barely nearly did without them. You know, um, OG3 says, do I think Zubots is better than Pirtle? I don't. Um, but I think they're quite close. I think that Pirtle's playmaking gives me a little bit more. Um, and, and I think Pirtle is a better roller. And those things are really important for a big man. Uh, defensively, I think they both wax and wane and have stretches. But um, yeah, 
Uh, Thanison says uh, Harden is a bit under the max this year, I believe, with the deal he made with the Sixers. Right. That's the Daryl Morey. Never take a pay cut for your boss <laughs> in your job. Wh- whatever, whatever you're doing in your job right now, whatever your job is, do not save them money out of your own pocket or whatever. Like if they can't pay you, I, I don't know. But yeah, James Harden needs to needed to follow that rule as well. Um, he put his trust in the wrong guy, obviously. That's why he will, quote, never play for a Daryl Morey team again. And I don't think he will. Um, but yeah, these Clippers are good, man. And the Raptors got a lot of, like, really impressive performances. But they have one, like, Barrett, as good as he's been, as good as he's been, Barrett is not the transcendent talent on the Raptors. That transcendent talent took less shots than Barrett, than Schroeder, than quickly and took a similar amount of shots as Jante Porter and Gary Trent Jr. And that's that's what it is. Scotty, if Scotty has like an incredible game, maybe they turn it around. And that doesn't mean I'm like angry or upset about Scotty not having that game. You don't always have those games on command. You don't have those games at the most opportune time. Like last season, right? When everybody's super upset with Scotty's development and they're saying, why isn't he popping off when Pascal's injured? Why is he so passive? And that made people like recalibrate what they thought his potential was. And then he comes out this year like gangbusters, right? It's not linear progression. It it it, it just didn't happen this game. It doesn't mean Scotty's anything less of a star. It just means that the Raptors lost the game that you wish they could have won with like a big Scotty performance. And they don't. Spilled milk, crying, et cetera, et cetera. Them's the breaks. Um, yeah. It's... That's kind of how these things shake out sometimes, you know, they don't have Kyle Lowry anymore to paper over everything. Um, you know, uh, yeah. RR says, do you think that's Scotty not calling his own number more or him just trying to stay within the flow of the offense? Uh, we've seen this offense accommodate a month long stretch of Scotty scoring 26 points per game. If Scotty's not scoring, Scotty's being passive to some degree. The The structure of the offense hasn't really changed. I think that RJ and Quickly have both done a tremendous job of fitting right into what the Raptors like to do, and they've elevated aspects of it. You know? That's like, yes, the, the scoring has flattened out a little bit, and it's like a little bit more egalitarian, and there's guys who, like, Barrett is not passing up as many shots as OG does. Why? Because Barrett can score with a live dribble more often. He sees more plays on the floor where he's like, I can turn this into something, and I will. And that means it's not, you know, Pascal or Scotty turning it into something. Yes, but that's not bad. But Scotty only taking 10 shots, only taking five inside the arc, that's that's passiveness. Yeah, that's passivity. And it's it's fun to be passive for a game. It's a long season, 82 of them. Scotty's been healthy. Scotty's been present. Scotty still provided impact. In, pl- in other places in this game, not as much as one would have hoped. But yeah, this is passivity. I, I don't think that like he's being frozen out. I don't think he's like, I don't think there's anything bigger going on here. I think that he was passive tonight. And he's been passive in some games recently. But we've all been watching Scotty for like three, two and a half seasons at this point, right? He has bouts of passivity. He, he waits for the flow of the game sometimes to fall into his lap rather than like seizing it. 
And some of that is just due to the flow of the game. That's not necessarily pecking order or hierarchy. And to go back to last season, we understand that because we've seen games where there's like not a lot of Fred or not a lot of Pascal. And that doesn't automatically equal more Scotty because Scotty sometimes is not going to just like, oh, there's more. Let me go get it. That's not been his MO necessarily. The good news is that he's impactful. He's still like does a bunch of things and he didn't do as much as one would have hoped tonight. Them's the breaks. <sighs> yeah. Um, Phoenix plays. Z says, I've been wanting to ask this question for a while. Do I think the unorthodox hooks are sustainable for Scotty in the half court against good defenses? Yes. I think Scotty's touch is insane. I have seen every single hook shot he's taken in the NBA multiple times. I've tracked them. He has incredible touch. He is able to square himself to the basket in a way that is preternatural. He he has an insane, now to use the meme term that Twitter hates when somebody says it for like Jordan Poole in 2021 or 2022, but proprioception. His awareness of his body and space is really, really high level. And I think that Scotty, his touch around the rim is tremendous. And he's a huge guy who is able to move dudes with his body, is comfortable with contact. And all those things mean one thing. This guy can hit contested hook shots. This Like, he's not Jokic. Jokic does a million other things. Jokic is bigger. But Jokic is a guy who you believe in the contested hook shots. I believe in Scotty's contested hook shots. And that that touch, I think, is fundamental to the steps he's making as a shooter now. That touch has translated over. He's simplified. He, you know, his pickup point is higher. It's more direct. There's less points of failure in his dr- jumper. Um, it's not as truncated. Like, he doesn't have the Galvis collapse. I'm using shot doctor terminology. My apologies. His legs aren't getting as bowed when he goes down. It's more straight. The, you know, the kinetic energy is going from feet to tips of the fingers better. All of it allowing his feel to transport the ball from hand to mesh. And it's that's what it is. I think his touch is tremendous. It's been something I've been kind of enamored with since his rookie season where I was really looking at him like, wow, this guy has been able to, he's really impressive as an opportunistic scorer. He obviously can like, he's he's a really, really fantastic leaper off of two feet and one foot, depending on if he gets a run up. This is a guy who has like finished around the rim. And then when I finally dove into like every possession to write that first big every possession Scotty piece, I kept seeing these, you know, bully ball, like these bully drives where he's getting to these awkward spots and like his right hip could be facing the rim and he'd square and hit like this push shot and his left hip could be facing the rim and he'd square and he'd be like perpendicular over the top of somebody and he'd hit this like hook shot. And I'm just like, who is this guy? Is this like, is this bullshit? Can he do this forever? And he's been doing it forever. Why? The the sample size is too big for me to like not look at. He he's he's got a hell of a hook shot, and I think the touch is there. I think it'll be there his whole career. It it kind of dumbfounds me because not a lot of guys uh, score like that. That's that's how I feel about that. Um, Richard Pilsky says Scotty's too unselfish at times for sure. I think there is, 
analysis around Scotty for a long time that it says like if he just realized how big he is, if he was just like, you know, more selfish. That's those are there's elements of truth in that, but I think also the truth is that Scotty is not like an elite elite offensive initiator. He's not comfortable initiating from every spot on the floor. He's not comfortable on every spot on the floor. And if a team like funnels him to the right spots and plays him the right way defensively, you can suppress his shot totals and you can make him uncomfortable. And that's not necessarily like, you know, a savant who's unselfish, who just couldn't possibly take a shot. But it can also be like a guy who's a little bit uncomfortable with the defense being played against him and isn't sure how to beat it at that time. However... He's a very cerebral player. He notices this stuff. He notices that. He's noticed, like he's this season, beating defenses that used to vex him in the past. So this game, I'm sure, goes away in his, you know, in the noggin, the same way the six-point game goes away in the noggin. And that's, like, that's what it is. He'll figure out his way to it. He's, he's going to be an all-star this year. He can improve. He can, like, approach the game a little bit more aggressive. But it's easier to be aggressive when you know you can beat a guy in a few different ways. Harder to be aggressive when you don't know exactly how you want to act out every offensive possession. Right? Reps. They help a lot. Super, super important. Um, JJP NYC says, Quick is going to give you this type of game. Shoots well, but flames out. 43% is good, but it's not enough, especially when Barnes is having a down game. Um, it's. I don't feel too bad about this quickly game. I know a lot of people are saying like you want to see more volume from three point land. I wish I wish that um, he was a little bit more aggressive on the pole, but there's been bouts, you know, since he's arrived as a Raptor where like he's been a little bit too aggressive off the pole and especially like in motion and he's like airballing or catching front rim. Right. And that's kind of like. It's, it's he's toggling he's figuring it out um the touch at the rim i think is the thing that's limiting emmanuel quickly a lot uh, scouts will talk about it you know big shout out to joshua codanera the underhand touch or the overhand touch and quickly seems to have like tremendous and i know it, some people might say that doesn't make sense to differentiate the two scouts do you know it's it's a permutation of of how you know how things work out how 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 possessions can end up you know, underhand touch maybe quickly is not that nice with it. The overhand touch, which is what we see on the floaters, he's one of the best in all of the NBA. Prior to coming to the Raptors, he shot 59% on floaters, which was sixth best in the whole league. That's the overhand touch. That's the jumper touch. That's all that kind of stuff. He's finishing underhand on a lot of his missed layups. And even the layups that he made late in the game, a lot of them were overhand as well. Getting th like that end one late, right? Like pushing through the contact, push shot, bank. You know, it's the, the the small things that are important about how players achieve things like overhand versus underhand touch. Um, you can you can think about uh, Steve Nash as well, a guy who mastered both. Steph Curry, an, another guy who really mastered both. Um, Trace124 says, quickly is going to develop. I'm already seeing him try things that will pay off in the future. Yeah, quickly, like there's some things he can do better. It's obvious to everybody watching. But he's doing a lot of things really well. I've been I've been overjoyed with the the Knicks guards. I think they've just been like fantastic. 
Um, yeah, he happy with both those guys. I mean, RJ is just. Let me look at RJ's numbers since he became a Raptor. We'll organize based on his last however many games because the stats are nuts. It's just, hmm. You know, OG3, as I poke around, mentions the the underhanded layup that uh, IQ made like right off the top of the glass yesterday on that that stutter rip, right? The stutter rip is my favorite move in basketball. I use it in pickup all the time. People don't know how to defend it. Neither do NBA players. It's such a like an elite triple threat move. And he had one and he got all the way to the rim and he finished like just a buttery underhand layup over the top. And let's see here. Okay. Let's see. What what are RJ Barrett's statistics over his last six games? Because that's when he joined the Raptors. And I bet they're absurd. Um, OG3 says, as a Jimmy Butler stand, I love the stutter rip. He is the best stutter ripper in the NBA. Okay, so RJ Barrett, as a Raptor, says, or sorry, not says, he's averaging 21.8 points on 59% from the field, 53% from three, and he's averaging almost seven boards and three and a half assists. This is absurd. Though, like those numbers are insane, almost incalculable. That level of efficiency is really, really fantastic. You know, uh, twenty legend or two zero legend says RJ scores tough baskets with ease. Not all the time, though, right? Like he's always been able to score tough baskets. And that's great, but he has, over the course of his career, been below average from every single location on the floor, whether it's the rim, the short mid-range, the long mid-range, or three. He's been like below average by the numbers every single spot. That doesn't mean his skill isn't there. It's just like some guys take really difficult shots. And so them's the breaks. Like if Steph Curry had the, I don't know, the shot diet, of PJ Tucker, he's probably like a 64% three-point shooter for his career, but he takes a lot of really crazy threes. So his three-point percentage goes down. It's still elite, 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 of course, but like, yeah, martial arts fight says RJ hasn't had tunnel vision for like three straight games as well. His passing has been awesome. You know, he's been able to make like cross-court reads. He's been able to make reads to lay downs. He's been able to notice when he's getting gapped and when to like stop went to like retreat and get the ball back out above the break to reset. And then after that, he's able to move elsewhere and relocate. Like he's been awesome. You know, it's, it's been good basketball. And, you know, I watched a lot of him at team Canada, you know, at FIBA this year and he was like super inconsistent and it wasn't just the jump shot being inconsistent. It was like decision-making was inconsistent. He was for, he was forcing stuff. He was doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And uh, he didn't, uh, you know, it just, this, this version of RJ has been a lot better. The decision-making has been better. The jump shot's been better. The finishing has been incredible. And... Nobody get it twisted. This is Scotty Barnes is the future of this team, but it's been so great that RJ has come over immediately and provided the level of pop that he has. It's been awesome. Those guys says, would PJ Tucker be a good fit on this team? No, no, I like, I, I just don't think PJ is there. Um, <laughs> he always says build around RJ. I've seen enough. He's not a coward with the game on the line. I, I don't know. Clutch statistics are so funny. 
Devin Booker was the best clutch player one year, and he was the worst high volume like per field goal percentage on clutch shooting the very next year. Like clutch statistics are really, really um, small sample. Like the Raptors have played more clutch games than any other team in the league this year, I think, but it's, and like, so the sample is inherently larger, but do you guys believe that Pascal Siakam is an 85% three point shooter? Do you believe he's like a 61% shooter from the field? Because that's what he's shooting in the clutch this year. Is Pascal suddenly like the king of clutch? Not necessarily. People who are clutch fail all the time, and people who aren't deemed clutch succeed all the time. It's, you know, KB says Jimmy Butler was like 0% on clutch shots for like half a season on the Wolves. Yeah, clutch is just like, there's some guys who can do it, of course. And some guys really, really deserve that moniker of like a guy who can get you a bucket late in the game. But some guys just don't have the reputation. Pascal is a guy, you know, I talked about this last episode, right? Um, Pascal's a guy who has a championship winning shot over the definitive defender of the past 10 years. He boogied on Draymond Green, swim move over top. Draymond was sprawling, trying to guard him and hit a floater. That was the last made basket in a hotly contested game six of the NBA finals, right? Like, but Pascal is not considered a clutch player. People choose it selectively. I know there's probably Kobe fans in the chat, but like Kobe, by the statistics, historically bad clutch shooter, but he has a bunch of clutch moments. What do you hang on to? What do you consider clutch, you know? Um, Phoenix plays, he says, Dre reaching was a bad discipline. Yeah, it was. What are you doing, Dre? Keep the hands out of the cookie jar, you know, but good on Pascal for stepping over. Um, yeah, it's, uh, there's some trolling going on in chat. I see, um, if people are arguing, which means like, Hey, it's almost 2am. We've talked basketball 41 minutes in. I did. I did meet my labor power uh, comment quota. I had two sentences on it. So uh, that feels like a, a podcast where we could leave it. If anybody has a, a question, I might answer a couple before I get out of here. But I think that the Raptors on the whole, um, ah, here's a good one. Uh, OG3 says, does Trey still not believe in Jante or is he beginning to change? Trey and I talk during every single Raptors game and I anytime Jante does something good, I send him a gif of Freddie Gillespie since that was the guy he uh, comped him to. And I and I think but he was complimentary of Jante tonight. The more Jante plays, you can see Jante the way he reads the floor. I mean, you know, he's doing good things out there. His compete level is high. Some of the the soft skill stuff tonight didn't necessarily translate. The shot making fell off a cliff towards the end, you know, in the second half. But it's uh you know, Jante, he's earning his minutes right now. He's he's still a two-way player. It's not his job to change the outcomes of games. It is his job to compete in his minutes and try and win possessions by more than people expect him to. That's his job, right? Jante is doing his job. Uh, he almost quit playing basketball, man, and now he's here playing NBA minutes and making the case for a guy who could be, um, who could qualify like the rappers might look at him as like, okay, let's convert that contract. So 
Ian says, Jonte's defense was my biggest concern, and he's been good. Um, yeah. Finn Murray says, what's the change in half-court offense per 100 possessions compared to the start of the season? Um, I can't do that uh, that stat query like perfectly right now, but I can tell you that through the first like 12 or 13 games, I think that the Raptors were around 85, if like 85 points per 100 possessions in the half-court, which is insane which is really, really bad. And I'll tell you what they're at now. Um, without including tonight's game, they're at 97, which if you can do the math, I think over the past, oh man, prior to the last two games, the Raptors, I think were like 105 or 106 over a month long. They've been one of the best half court uh, offenses in the NBA over the past month. And yeah, uh, Jimmy Kong says, are triangle principles coming back to the NBA? Are the Raptors using more of them? Awesome question. Um, Lewis Atzman for SB Nation actually wrote a really big piece about that. So if you just go to Google and type in like Lewis Atzman, SB Nation, triangle offense, he talks about that, how people are using more dribble handoffs and less pick and rolls for the first time in like a decade. And so it's been really impressive to see teams move offenses into different ways. And of course, like they're the Kings running so many dribble handoffs and the Nuggets running so many dribble handoffs and them being like high octane offenses helps shift the landscape a little bit. And teams play, of course, they play like people. It's a copycat league. If you have really successful teams running out of these high post hubs, doing a lot of dribble handoffs and that kind of stuff, um, it's really good. And you can also play like way more cat and mouse stuff. You can play tag around the, the pole on the playground, right? Like, are you, which way are you going to track? I backtrack. I go the other way. I split. Like, there's you can be a little bit more creative with a dribble handoff because the guy who's going to be dangerous going downhill isn't necessarily burdened with a live dribble. And, like, Jokic can just, for example, if Jamal Murray is, like, running roots around him like a wide receiver and like stutter stepping and can catch on the move and backpedal into a three because his balance is insane. He's a tremendous shooter. That means that he's really hard to keep up with for the off ball defender. And then it also means that like, okay, if he can't keep up, how much does the on ball defender who's sitting on Jokic just like, how much does he have to be ready to like maybe play off of Jokic? And does that mean that Jokic can use the keeper on the play and like turn the corner on a whim? And this is being played out repeatedly with like a bunch of different bigs and a bunch of different guards and guards have become, you know, and the influence of Steph Curry is massive here. Guards have become really great with their off ball stamina, working to get open using their feet instead of their dribble. And yeah, like triangle concepts are becoming more popular because um, the defenses always figure out how to cheat it, you know, like the weak side zone was super effective in eliminating a lot of the advantages that like the LeBron heat used to create or the, you know, the first iteration of the LeBron Cavs, like the big sweeping skip pass. That isn't as effective a play anymore because teams are more capable at zoning up parts of the floor, pulling from certain areas. And it's because, you know, players used to hang on to the ball more often. If players hang on to the ball, guess what they do? You know, you can recover. You can scram switch. You can X out. You can always just send a guy from elsewhere on the floor. And since players are a little bit more switchable now, you're looking at guys who 
even if they pull off of one guy to go guard another guy, they're able to stick him for a moment in time. And if you can't, you'll just send help and they'll like, maybe they peel switch to the corner. Defenses, they figure it out every single time. So, you know, OG3 puts it best right here. The cyclical nature of schemes in sports is one of the most beautiful things. That's the truth. And, you know, it's cyclical with a twist, you know? Like, we're getting all these triangle concepts, but with players who have vastly different skill sets, which is cool. And it's led to incredibly potent offense. Um, yeah. Phoenix Plays E says, yeah, but that doesn't always work. Tice busted open so many of our scram switches in the Boston series. Well, yeah, it's not always going to work, but defenses have to try and do something in a league that the whistle benefits offensive players and the supercharged nature of like players' skill sets benefits offensive players. You can't stop everything all the time, i.e. we just watched a game that was 126 to 120 after watching a game that was 132 to 131 after the Raptors scored north of 130 points in, what, three straight games. Um, <laughs> offenses are good. And defenses are clever. I, I wonder uh, if, you know, I wonder if there's a rule change at any point in time that like brings it back. You know, I, I watch CBS Sports Galazzo um, for a lot of my uh, like coverage. So like uh, Micah Richards and Jamie Carragher and Thierry Henry and Kate Abdo. And there was the one time where Thierry Henry came on and he was prescribing changes to the game of football for what he thought was better. And I thought it was imaginative. I thought it was considerate and I thought it was better than when like Chuck or Shaq decide to descend down and say like the game should be like this. Like a lot more thought went into it. And I would be interested to hear what players, if they got pulled, you know, if they were like really sitting down to consider, you know, we want the game to be better on defense. You know, we want defenses to have more power, what that would look like. Right. Because when players and coaches feel the need to ex explain the game of basketball, they're very good at it. They don't often feel the need to. A really good example of this is Earl Watson, I think today, was in an interview, was asked about Pascal Siakam, and he said something that no other pundit outside of, honestly, not to gas myself, but outside of myself, really, talked about how Pascal Siakam is very dangerous in the middle of the floor. Like the fact that he won't kill his dribble, the fact that he's very cognizant of doubles, that he's really good at recognizing where help comes from, like that kind of stuff. He talked about that. That's the first time I've ever seen that uttered on TV. That wasn't like a Raptor show, you know, appearance from myself. And I had to watch so much basketball to see that. He probably noticed it the first time he watched them play, right? Like these guys know so much more. When they finally, finally like take the time to explain stuff, I would love to hear players like sit on the idea of like how do we give defense more power without ruining the beauty of the game and see what they think it is because people say like oh you know it's just like hand checking or you know uh three seconds in the key to five seconds in the key whatever I i'm not sure um 20 legend asked me football fan what's my club i've answered this before on stream but um the first player i really really uh loved was paul pogba and so he was on Juventus at the time. I had a friend who was playing soccer. He actually ended up going over to England to play. And he introduced me to like fandom of the Premier League and Serie A and everything like that. So Paul Pogba and Juventus were my first favorite team. I understand now Juventus is not really well liked. And I understand 
um, politically and racially why that's the case. Um, but in the Premier League, Liverpool is my favorite team. And it was, I really liked Raheem Sterling when he was there. That was the Pogba Juventus, Raheem Sterling at uh, Liverpool. And so th those were the two biggest motivations. And also Daniel Sturridge, I thought was like the, the dance, you know, dun, 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 after he scored. Um, that's kind of, that's what it was. But I know, I know people get disappointed, you know, depending on who I say I like. But yeah, them's the breaks. That feels like enough. Uh, a game where the Raptors' young guns, they were very impressive. They got a lot of really impressive performances. The star power of, man, the star power of the Clippers really showed through in this game, and they made a ton of plays late. Um, yeah, that's the game. I'll be back here for the Utah Jazz game. And we'll be talking, everybody. Thanks to everybody in chat for tuning in at 2 a.m. You guys are the best. Like the video on your way out. Um, it helps promote it. Um, oh, here, actually, Phoenix Plays E says, Samson, when is the pickup mixtape coming out? There's lots of clips of me on Twitter playing. And if anybody wants to play against me, at the end of March, the Raptors have a uh, a three-on-three, -three, or not Raptors, Raptors Republic has a three-on-three -three tournament. So n if you want to hoop against like some of the, you know, the nerds, the bloggers, you know, some reporters and all that kind of stuff, you want if you want to play against Samson Folk and William Liu on the same day, the Raptors Republic three-on-three -three tournament is a really good place to do it. Um, lock in. Uh and then uh, RR says, is that a yearly thing? Yes, it's been happening for many years in a row. Um, if you play me, you'll be playing myself, Isfandiar, Trey, and my best friend, Aleg, who's also my roommate. And on top of that, February 6th, a pre-trade deadline live podcast show. You can go to RaptorsRepublic.com. There will be an article about it. Um, like You can just click and you can order tickets and come hang out, and it'll be awesome. So... Uh, Phoenix plays E says, are you guys running sets and pickup? Only two man actions. Uh, no, we're not doing like horns or anything like that. Nobody has time for that. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's a podcast. Now I'm just, I'm, I get stuck reading chat sometimes. So anyway, uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in. Make sure to like the video on your way out. It helps promote it to other people who hopefully will enjoy me as well. And the conversation. Uh, thanks to everybody for hopping in. It makes these conversations late in the night a lot better. So, hell yeah. Bye, everybody. And to those people who listen on their walk, whatever the hell you got up to on the podcast apps, thank you very much. And whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.